we got a real simple plan. One man, one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day Podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, here's Reese Davis. In exactly one week, the NFL Draft will start a new ranking out from the Football Power Index. Do we agree? Do we disagree? Does it matter? And where in the world has Pete Thamel been? Answer, spoiler alert, everywhere. This is the College Game Day podcast for Thursday, April 20th, one week before the NFL draft commences. Pete is working on a story on Bryce Young. Uh, there might be some surprise insights as to what you what the theme of the story might be. But Pete, before we, I talked about when you were out traveling around last week, I talked a lot about the top of the draft and Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud. Let's We're College Game Day. Let's start college football. You took in... You took in three spring games, is that right? Was it three in three days or something like that? Or? I did, I did. I made my uh, I made my debut as uh, ESPN's ugliest sideline reporter, and uh, they decided it would be uh, it would be a good way to do, do good way to break me in to do three spring games in three days. And I always have had a ton of respect for the Chris Buttons and the Holly Rose and the Molly McGraths and the job they do. And I know it is hard, and I have an appreciation for the work they put in and the time. And the logistical challenges, but after doing three spring games in three days, it's a whole new level of uh, of 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 respect. Uh, just all the different variables. So it's South Florida, or Florida, I guess, uh, North, Middle, and South Florida, three and three. So you have to assume it's going to rain every night, right? The forecast mm-hmm. is 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 thirty percent rain every night. So I spent more time in Kinkos. Uh, last time I was there was probably like my senior in college, putting my resumes together. Uh, laminating everything, um, the whole nuances of the chart and the chart that broadcasters have that I've seen guys have over the years, but everything that goes into that, there's a company that sends them to you. There was just all this, like, it was all pretty compelling from a, from a work perspective. Uh, from a football perspective, I, I guess the best way to sum up my three stops would be this way. Um, Florida and Miami are in similar phases of a rebuild, and you could argue, Who's a little bit ahead on recruiting rankings and guys who flash in the game or whatever, but they are they are both unbaked cakes. That I don't think either will threaten in any significant way the the league titles. You know, in in the East title, I guess in uh, in the case of Florida, there are no divisions in the ACC, so I, I don't think I don't know who's third in the ACC. And Miami could maybe be that, but I don't think they're close to one or two yet. And then Florida State. To me, it was the fully baked cake. It was four years. It was an offensive line overhaul that's probably one of the most uh, impressive turnarounds from 2018. That was pre-Norvell. That was Taggart to now. To How about this stat, Reese? They have 207 FBS starts among their top eight offensive linemen. Now, three of those are transfers. So, again, it, you we could do a whole podcast on like how did Florida State get passed by, right? And mm-hmm. the 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 real the, the short answer is if you had to put in a fortune cookie, it'd be but they got passed by the SEC, right? They got passed by the better leadership, better infrastructure, better facilities, and then just the ability to then attract better players and the place. 
where the SEC has separated itself from the rest of college football that's been proven time and again is in the trenches. So Florida State now has offensive line depth, and that is not like the most exciting thing to talk about. No, you know, Stephen A. Smith is not going to be screaming about offensive line depth on one of our uh, on one of our afternoon shows. But the reality is that's a place that they had lacked. Then you go defensive line. They have a top 15 pick and Jared Verse coming back because, well, we're not going to be a mediocre ACC team. We could make the playoff. Mm-hmm. I came. He came from Albany. He thinks Florida State is like football heaven, as we say at the yeah. beginning of this podcast, right? So, And he likes it, and he likes Mike Norvell, and he likes the experience, and he likes school, and he thinks he can improve his craft. So you have him on the edge, who's a bonus. You have Fabian Lovett in the middle, who's kind of your quintessential run stuffer, who you need, and you know who every SEC team has. So I really think that's what I left Florida State most impressed with is – how they are built. They have a great quarterback room. Obviously, Jordan Travis uh, enters the season as a top five Heisman guy. I think probably underappreciated is this is going to be his fourth year with Mike Norvell calling plays for him. So his fourth year in a system with a great line, high-end tailback, improved tight ends, very good receivers. Uh, Johnny Wilson, I think, being amongst the top of them, but also some receiver depth too. Uh, Winston Wright, the old West Virginia receiver, comes back from a car accident, and he's your fourth receiver. And he was the leading receiver at West Virginia two years ago. So there's just there's just a bunch of chess pieces, and I have a lot of faith in Norvell as a play caller and a coach. So anyway, that's a very long answer, probably much longer than uh, than you wanted. But that was my that was my tour day, Florida, uh, both work experience and football observation wise. It, it doesn't matter what I want. It's what the people want. And I think the people want to hear that. And when it comes to Florida State, there is no more compelling storyline in the first month of the season about direction of program and don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. I'm not at all saying Norvell would be on the hot seat or anything like that. But direction of the program, confidence in the head coach, uh, belief that they are going to be a contender again than Florida State in September. Simply because they open with LSU and then later in the month they get Clemson. If they get out of that month undefeated, well, then it's obvious. They're, they're in the fight until the last week, barring some type of unforeseen catastrophe. They are in the playoff hunt for good. If they split them, then they're probably in the mix the entire time. If they were to lose both, and that wouldn't be any great sin against humanity or saying that they're a terrible team, but if they lose both, it won't be that way. It, it's September is huge. And I said last week when we were opining about where college game day might go week one, if that game were in Tallahassee on Saturday as opposed to Orlando on Sunday, no brainer. Oh. Send it. And to, and to your point with Florida State's rather, uh, open covetousness of going to the SEC and being passed by, as you mentioned, and having uh, people in the trenches from a football standpoint that they believe can compete with the SEC. That game on Sunday night in Orlando is gargantuan. It's easily the biggest game of week one. And it won't mean Florida State's done if they lose, but and certainly won't mean that for LSU either. But for the stakes for a Florida State win now against LSU as opposed to last year, are enormous. And I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated to see it. I mean, I, I'm looking forward to it. The entire sport needs someone else from the ACC 
to be a national level contender. Certainly the ACC needs it. And Florida State is the team that is poised to do it this year and join Clemson, who I'm, I'm also uh, high on their opportunity to be in that mix at the end as well. I did, there was one thing that you, you passed on. I, I, in your study of sideline reporters, perhaps you are familiar with the viral video clip from a few years ago of Laura Rutledge. I mean, just getting drilled. I'm pretty sure it was on the sidelines of a Georgia game. Um, I wouldn't say you came close to that moment, but weren't you talking with Anthony Richardson and he fielded a punt or a kickoff in the middle of an interview? Yes. So, uh, the, uh, good people at Florida, uh, Rick Hurtado, uh, the, the SID there came over to me and said, Hey, would you like to talk to Anthony Richardson? Now, again, I've been a sideline reporter at this point for about 38 minutes, so I can't claim to have any great instincts, <laughs> but I said, yes, I would like to talk to Anthony Richardson. That is, a, that is an affirmative. Please and thank you, Rick. So Anthony Richardson did the, uh, Gator radio network with, which I thought was a nice touch, you know, taking care of, taking care of your guys who taken care of you for three years. And he's obviously a local mm-hmm. kid from Gaines. And then uh, came over to me right as the second half started. He did Gator Radio at halftime. Came over. So we are pretty far from the action in the end zone and kickoff happens. Now, you've been witness to my great uh, athletic instincts. I have no idea that this ball is basically hurtling towards us right now. There is no sense, zero sense. I'm like just trying not to stutter through my uh, interview questions, right? And so I I ask Anthony a question. He's in the middle of answering it. And uh, all of a sudden he looks up and like takes two steps and does a one-handed catch and then flips the ball to Rick and comes back and finishes the question. And so I had just said to him, I said, well, you know, the, the draft is uh, at that point was a week from Thursday night or two weeks from Thursday night. So I said, you know, there's not much you can do between now and then. And then he goes on uh, national TV and, and catches one handed catches a, uh, a kickoff. Um, so it was a, uh, it was a very fun, uh, it was a very fun moment. And just a reminder of like, how much better athletes these guys are than like the mortals who walk the earth just to like out of the corner of your eye. Have you ever tried to catch like a kickoff? Um, Chris oh, Budden yeah. said yeah. They, they tried to make her catch a punt uh, last year. I called her and she was very generous with her insight on how to be a sideline reporter. And uh, one of the things she said, uh, she said was don't, don't catch. If they try to make you catch a kick, don't do it. Cause it's, it's somewhat humiliating, right? Did you catch it Reese? Well, I mean, I, you know, I played, I sure. uh, played high school football and the, the kicks weren't quite what they are at this level. But now at my advanced age, I feel like there is a tremendous, tremendous chance that I would misjudge it. You know, I mean, because, and the other thing too is that like back in the stone age when, when I played and I, I wasn't speedy enough to return punts very often, but occasionally coming up, I did. It wasn't hard, really that hard to catch those, but they were only spinning one way. Then hmm. the, uh, the thing now with the punts, they, you know, they, they have the end over end with the backspin on them. They can yeah. spin them either way. They can make them kind of die away from you like a, like a slice or like a hook. And, you know, it's, there's a, there's a great deal of skill to catching punts, particularly kickoffs. I think the thing that would surprise people would probably be the force that the ball and the speed that the ball is still traveling even mm-hmm. after the 70 yards on the fly. You'd think, oh, I got this. And then you'd wear it in the chest and you wouldn't be able to breathe for about <laughs> five minutes, you know, or something. So, yeah, it's uh, I, I don't have a great deal of confidence in my ability to walk out there 
in a in a suit or even <laughs> or even in in workout clothes right now and say, hey, catch this one. Now I'd probably misjudge it or wear it right off the chin, one of the two. So which which if you wear it off the chin, you misjudged it, just not as as quite embarrassing a fashion as letting it sail over your head. Yeah. Let me let me dial back here to FSU because I, I thought of something as you were going through. I agree that they are they are college football's most compelling September team. I don't think they're for sure. I, I don't think it's close. Now, there's a power, and I felt it in Tallahassee on the sideline. I don't remember the attendance of the spring game, but there was God, it had to be forty thousand people there. I mean, there was a it. There's a longing and a thirst for a fan base that was once on top and then experiences rock bottom to come back, and you you could feel that that was a uh, that was a powerful sort of force that reverberated through the whole day on uh, Saturday. But I, I'm going to posit this theory, and you can feel free to disagree with it. I think they could lose to LSU and lose at Clemson and still be right in the thick of the playoff, if not make it, if they won all their other games, which would include you have to assume yeah. an ACC championship in right. on a neutral field against Clemson uh, at the end of it. Now, again, I'm not saying it's likely, but I'm saying to I you can't rule them out with two losses at, at that point. Do you agree? Uh, no, I don't okay. actually. Right. And, and no, that's good. As we as we sit here right now, but here's the here's the reason, Pete. It's not because they wouldn't be good enough. Now they could still be in it if they passed the proverbial eye test. If football judgment is the phrase that I prefer to eye test. If your football judgment tells you, you know, they lose on a last second field goal to LSU and a hail mary to Clemson, and then they win the ACC, and your football judgment tells you maybe, and maybe they, maybe they crush everybody else in their path. Their problem after that is that they don't really have anything to hang their hat on, you know, in terms of something that's going to get your attention. And you're going to look at it and say, well, they had two opportunities and they played well and they're really good, but they didn't come through. Now, if everybody in the world loses a bunch of games or if they steamroll everybody else and then let's say LSU wins the SEC and, you know, and Clemson's uh, undefeated and then they beat them. Okay. But I, my point is it would have to line up yeah. really, really well yeah. for them to, to be. And, and I think this, I guess my point was, yes, they'll be in it at the end, but if they, if they lose those two, they're sort of off the radar. Pretty much through October, you know, and, and into November. And then maybe they're, you know, to use Coach Corso's phrase, the Florida State alum, maybe they're sneaking around the chicken coop if they, you know, have been ripping people as they head toward the Florida game and then a potential rematch against Clemson. I would have to look at their schedule right now and I'll try to pull it up quickly here to, to make sure, but I'm not sure do they have, um, I'm not even sure they have North Carolina this year. Well, in a in a different era, they could actually have the schedule of firepower to put themselves in the conversation because they have Virginia Tech at home, Miami at home, and they're at Florida. But the problem is there's very little chance I think any of those three teams are ranked. And you could argue, you know, if you look at the past two years, that at Pitt would actually be there or at Wake Forest would right. actually be, yeah. you know, could be a tougher game just from a yeah, I'm looking, they don't like they don't have North Carolina, which Correct. who knows what they're going to be. But with Drake May getting attention, if they're good, then that would be a, a win that would get There's attention. A crush. Yeah, the crush I think they, I, I think they have to. At Pete, I think they have to at worst split it. 
Um, yeah, they no, could, that's fair. They could, still have, fair. they could still have a great season. I mean, it, yeah. it would still be a great season if they, you know, win the rest of their games, win the ACC, and come up just short of the playoff. Yeah. And there would certainly be an argument to be made. We couldn't completely rule them out. That's all. I yeah. just, it, it's not a crazy idea. I, I, the likelihood of it is likely slim, but <clears throat> I just thought that, you know, look at, looking at that, especially because they'd both be early and they would both be, you know, to teams that you would have to think are in that conversation, then they could beat one of the two, which you, in theory, could maybe negate the loss. So, I don't know. Just, it's it's April. We're just spitballing. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's fun to talk like this because yeah. in the scenario that you lay out, if they avenge their loss and, let's say, LSU, you know, wins the SEC, and as I'm looking at the latest FPI hot off the presses, they've got LSU number four. Um so that's not a, a crazy thing because among the SEC teams, they have the proven quarterback. So it's not mm-hmm. – I, I see where you're coming from, but I think it would have to yeah. be a very specific, exact path that Florida State would have to go through if they were to lose both of them. And both losses would have to be well-played, hard-fought losses. They can't go in and lose, you know, have one hard-fought loss and then lose the other one you know, by, by – 16 or something like that. So, um, but I think the, the good news is, is I think they're capable of doing it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I, I told you before we started this podcast, I don't know if I'm going to be invited to vote in the AP poll again next year. That's a yearly thing. They like to rotate them through. And if I'm invited, I'm, I'm going to evaluate whether I'm going to accept again. I enjoy the exercise. If I don't do it, I think I'll probably just put rankings out on Twitter and let people yell at me um, through that. <laughs> You'd miss that, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's always fun. <laughs> but um, right now, Pete, as I look at this FPI preseason, it's got Ohio State number one, Alabama two, Georgia three, LSU four, Texas five. Um I think if I had to fill out a ballot as we sat here right now, I would put Michigan number one preseason. And here's why. The things that I tend to look at in the preseason, and it is art more than science. It's not formulaic. It's not, uh, well, you know, I like this team as a returning quarterback. Well, you voted this team number two. They don't have a returning quarterback. It's a mix of of talent. There's a little gut feel thrown into it as well. But I also like to look at offensive and defensive lines and quarterback returning. Michigan, they did lose a couple of starters on the offensive line, a couple on the defensive line too, but they're the only one in that group, maybe save LSU, that has a, and well, USC's right behind them. USC certainly has a proven quarterback. Michigan has a proven quarterback that I think is going to improve greatly this year. 
They've got the best cornerback in America in Will Johnson. They've got some transfers on both lines of scrimmage, including a pass rusher that should shore up some of the things that they've lost. And they've done a really good job in the transfer portal the last couple of years, particularly on the lines of scrimmage. They've got their running backs coming back, a couple of uh, wide receivers that might even be bigger threats, uh, transfer tight end from Indiana, I believe. They... I think if I had to fill out the ballot right now based on what I know, you know, what I, the type of production I know I'm going to get, I think I'd put Michigan number one. I have a hard time disagreeing with you. I think you have to, I, I certainly feel comfortable making Michigan the Big Ten favorite in the preseason over Ohio State. Not only have they earned that on the field in back to back years when arguably they had inferior rosters, but they also return a, a quarterback who a lot of scouts I know think could end up really developing into a, into a high end prospect in, uh, in, in JJ McCarthy. And again, he's only a junior, obviously, uh, obviously come back this year. And, what they did on the offensive line, you know, they get Drake Nugent from Stanford to to fill in for uh, for big uh, big Olu Oluwatami at uh, at center, who was one of the better linemen in the country last year. Uh, but that's not going to be a discernible drop off. And Olu came from Virginia last year and seamlessly went in. You've got yeah, he won all the awards. So <laughs> yeah, no, he did all of them, yeah. literally all of them. Yeah, back to back Joe Moore awards for the unit itself. You have, uh, and I think this is important, uh, Sharon Moore back, co-offensive coordinator. They obviously lost Matt Weiss to that, uh, to controversy and the, mm-hmm. uh, I guess it would be Michigan, University of Michigan police investigation uh, into him. And so he, he's he gone and he was a big part of, I think, the identity of their offense shifting. But I don't think they're going to lose a lot from an upfront in a play calling perspective with him gone. And then... Uh, if you look at the uh, if you look at the defensive side of the ball, the the Eagles came really close, uh, very very close to hiring Jesse Minter, uh, mm-hmm. the defensive coordinator, who again slipped in last year for Mike McDonald, and actually I think improved them somehow, which was remarkable because McDonald really did great work to pull them out of the rut of that uh, of that 2020 season where they went two and four, and uh, you know really changed the identity of that whole program. So no, I'm 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 with you, Reese. It's it's hard to to. To say, sure, could could you pick Georgia? Yeah, definitely. There's always an argument for Alabama. I mean, I think Florida State could get some votes for number one just because of the mm-hmm. amount of what they've returned combined with their portal success. Um, there's a few teams. I definitely – again, we're not going to sit here and do a, a referendum on the on the, on the the FPI because that's something no, right. that uh, people very – a lot smarter than us uh, did. But I'm, I'm going to keep a little skepticism on old Texas. I think if Me we've too. learned anything yeah. the, the past decade, it's that uh, – Preseason optimism for Texas has not met uh, regular season reality time and time and time and time and time and time again. Now, Quinn Ewers has looked scorching this spring. I thought it was telling that, you know, Steve Sarkeesian said he's their starter. And in, in, in Arch Manning hasn't even really shown up in that race. So it's nice to think of Arch Manning. And I, I can't wait to see what he becomes. Right. But he, you know, he's the third string quarterback in Texas right now. So that that's the thing, Pete. I think um, when someone gets the attention that Arch did, and yeah. certainly when you have the legacy of his family, it's really un- unfair to expect more. Give him give him some time. He's got all kinds of potential and ceiling and upside and smarts and demeanor. He's got everything, but he's not ready. I mean, and this idea that he was going to walk in and be ready is, you know, it's a little, a little much. And I think he's going to be ter- a terrific college and hopefully terrific NFL yeah. quarterback. 
But, you know, Quinn Ewers is the guy, and I'm not so sure that um, Malik Murphy, you know, isn't a, a budding star someplace, you know, <laughs> at some point um, as well. Sure. Yeah. No, I think Malik Murphy's a really talented, uh, talented kid. And uh, I think the thing that got lost in, in Arch Manning because of his last name was that he did not play high-end high school football in terms of talent. He wasn't at IMG. He wasn't at one of these, I don't know, 7A Texas high schools that pretty much looked like mm-hmm. the Sun Belt when those teams were allowed there. He was at <laughs> yeah. Isidore Newman, and they played against uh, a lot of dudes of the physical attributes of you and I, um, probably more me than you, because you were at least catching punts in high school. Not right? well, I, I not, can, not well. No, don't, don't <laughs> misunderstand. Don't, don't get that twisted. I wasn't back there as a regular punt returner. Just I was sore for two days after walking the sideline three different days. <laughs> <laughs> I like <laughs> so, yeah. um, but he had limited competition, so give him some time to grow. I agree. There's no the 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 way college basketball, college football have been sped up. It's if you're not a one and done in basketball, you're viewed as this like failure, right. you know. But yeah. by the recruiting industry, and it's the same thing with three and duns in college. Like you see these guys commit and say, "I'm going to go to fill in the blank school for the next three years." It's like you know what. You might hit some adversity. You might get injured. You might like it and want to come back if you're a fringe guy. Like it just everybody's in a rush. So and sometimes it's it's not the worst. It's not the worst time to to sit back a little bit. And uh, yeah, let's hope let's hope Arch Manning's enjoying himself because Austin, Texas, isn't a terrible place to be when you're uh, when you're supposed to be a senior in high school. No, he he's going to be he, he's going to be fine long term. And then Quinn Ewers seems to have uh, gained a little. Uh, not that he was immature, but, you know, whether it's cutting the mullet, applying himself, getting his body in better shape. You know, he, he looked he looked terrific based on, on what I saw the other day. And, of course, the real test. He looked terrific in the first quarter against Alabama and Austin. And if he's that much better, we'll see. Uh, you know, we'll see how that how that looks uh, as well. That's, you know, the two rosters that or three rosters you want to include Ohio State. But the Alabama and the Georgia rosters are best, but they both got. They've both got questions at quarterback. Now, there's some optimism, I think, particularly at Georgia. I think Alabama has optimism. It's a little bit more muddy to which direction and how that's going to turn out long term. But, you know, having the quarterback to start and same thing at Ohio State. And there's some optimism. How's that going to wind up for sure? And, um, you know, starting with the quarterback early in the season, you know, yours could, if he could take Texas in there and they could get things, they could get things going and maybe Alabama's new quarterback struggles a little bit, you know, then, then maybe everything's turned, turned on its head a little bit. But at the moment, I'm, I'm with you and reserving, uh, plenty of skepticism for having, having Texas that high and, and ready to pick them to win that game in Tuscaloosa in the second week of the season. Yeah. I wonder if Alabama doesn't go get another quarterback. By the uh, by the but you know in the next in the upcoming months. well that that notion would not that notion idea would not shock it, nor nor would it shock me and I think it is a gargantuan gamble. Um, here, here really? here's why you when you go get a quarterback at this juncture, you are sending a message to the quarterbacks who are on campus and the entire team that. We don't believe they can get it done right now. You also are pushing all of your chips to the table and saying, this guy's the starter. Okay. How does that impact chemistry? Is there resentment? 
People will immediately start worrying about losing the quarterbacks, but you also worry about losing some of the other players around them who may have some preference uh, as to which guy should be playing and also some respect for the time that has been put into the program. Now, if anyone can handle that, Nick can, if he chooses to do that. But it's a gamble, man. Make no mistake about it. Unless you have a sure-fire guy, if you get... You know, if, and I'm, I even think there's a little bit of a gamble in, to team chemistry. If you brew, brought in a superstar at this point, you bring them in in December, that's different. They get a chance to go through the offseason. They earn some respect before then, all of those types of things. But if you bring them in now, that, that's a risk. What if he doesn't play mm-hmm. well? Then you've already, you've created this wall between them and people can say all they want to. It's about competition. Expect competition. You're going to get that at the next level. They bring in guys all the time. They do, and it still creates issues. Because when do quarterbacks particularly, really anybody in any walk of life, but when do quarterbacks particularly flourish? When everybody around them believes in them. And sometimes whipping that up. This is not fantasy football. This is not go get the guy. But it's a risk. The upside to it is it might, if they have determined or if they determine that they are still uncertain as to whether, uh, the quarterback candidates and if, you know, using Alabama, I'm speaking generally, by the way, but specifically to Alabama, if they believe that Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson are going to be good, but maybe not quite ready this year, they're not confident they will be ready by September. Um, you know, how do you know the new guy's going to assimilate and be ready too? And then you've created this other problem. So my only point is you got a right to do it, transfer portal era, whatever it might be. And this applies to Alabama or anybody else. You better be sure. You'd better be sure. And you better have a plan to manage it. So. No, all, all good points. I just think if you're Alabama or a program, you know, there's three or four of them who, who are in that uh, highest tier in the sport, and you can get an established, veteran, productive guy, and you don't believe there's a guy on your roster who can lead you to the national championship, because let's face it, at this point in Nick Saban's career, he's not into bridge years, right? He's not into, well, we'll, we'll try hard this year and, and move up, and I, and I do think one of the reasons why there could be concern at Alabama about the quarterback position is that they are not what they were at receiver and at tailback. So I'd, you, I'd hold the Bryce Young I'd, was, I'd hold the phone on tailback based on the early reports. They couple. Okay. I'm tell, hold, but go ahead, proceed. Right. They got well. I finish the thought. Yeah, finish I'm the, sorry. You make me hold the phone. I want to know what I'm holding uh, for. The 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 freshman Haynes has been showing out, and Jamaria Miller, who's played in spurts, also in addition to the guys who you know are productive, has shown some let's say explosive capabilities. So. All so. right, Reese tapping into his uh, old Tuscaloosa <laughs> roots there. We we like it. But, uh, Reese giving us a little uh, little watch your back, Tom Van Heron. Reese is giving us a little, uh, little under the radar scouting report on the uh, on the tie. I will just safely say that 
their receiver position last year is not going to have a player drafted and didn't have a player like that was and now again Burton could have been like third team all league or something but they did not have a star at that position now they have some guys that are emerging and I certainly am not going to be skeptical of the Alabama machine right like it's you know the Alabama machine has produced player and player again but I don't see a wholesale roster difference maker at receiver um and I just think that is probably one of the reasons why I'm skeptical of the quarterback position because whoever you bring in at the quarterback position is not going to be as good as Bryce Young. And Bryce Young did a lot of things just improv-wise. I went back today doing the story I'm working on and looked at that Texas play, Reese, <laughs> where he ducked yeah. Ryan Watts. Yeah. Like, I mean, it looked like a yoga position. Like, he ducked so low, his face mask almost hit the ground. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just sort of things he did that are unquantifiable in that in that sense. So it's not, are we downgrading at the position? It's how much are we downgrading yeah. at the position? And that's no, no knock on anybody. Ty Simpson could go end up being a, a top 10 pick in the NFL draft, but he's not going to be that. He's not going to be that immediately. So I just think if you look at, Burton's back. Brooks has obviously had some nice moments, um, both in his freshman and, and sophomore year. Jason McClellan's a really good SEC back. Um, I just don't know if he is a put, you know, he's Leonard Fournette where you put him on your back and you mm-hmm. run to the SEC tight. I just, I don't know yet. So I have just a little, I have a little bit of Alabama skepticism and I'm going to keep that Alabama skepticism until week two when we are likely in mm-hmm. Tuscaloosa, Alabama to, to see. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I I have some skepticism, too, and there are certainly questions about the quarterback position. But my question to you would be this. I don't know who, you know, who exactly it would be, the transfer portal. But for all of the things that you've said, that your receiving core, I know they've got a junior college guy that they're really high on. But if the receiving core is not not there, they're hoping the offensive line will be better, more physical in the run games. One of the ideas, I think, with Tommy Reese coming over – and, you know, and the running backs, whether, you know, it's the guys who've been there who are solid or whether one of these younger guys turns out to be explosive capabilities. Wouldn't, wouldn't you want Milrow back there? I mean, I mean, at one point he was, you know, he was like fastest guy on a team and he's like, you know, six, two or three and two forty or whatever, two thirty five or two forty. So my, my question would be if you have those, if you have those liabilities, then it, wouldn't it be a very specific type of quarterback you'd be looking for rather than just a proverbial game manager? And the other thing to think about is over the years, and I, your, your point is, a, is an excellent one about the, this stage of Nick Saban's career. And, you know, this is not a building. This is like, got to try to win now. It doesn't mean he's retiring next year or the year after, but there, there's no, you know, there's no point in, in to use your term, the bridge year. You're trying to win every year, as you always are. But I mean, particularly them, they're trying to win the national championship. But you think back over time, and they've had unbelievable success with unproven first year starters, whether it be AJ McCarron or Blake Sims of all people who took him to the playoff went in a year when they, there was no transfer portal type thing. And there was a lot of skepticism around their quarterback situation that year. Jalen Hurts, all people think about is Jalen Hurts getting benched at halftime of the Georgia game. 
Sometimes they don't remember that in the national championship game the year before, one more defensive play and Jalen Hurts is the hero of the national championship game the year before scoring to put them ahead. He was a freshman. Mac Jones, first year starting. Everybody thought Bryce Young was going to beat him out. Uh, he didn't. Mac Jones led them to the championship. All of those guys, save Jalen Hurts, who was a freshman, had put in some time in the program. And I hear what you're saying. And I'm not saying they can't work it out. I'm not even saying it's a terrible idea. My only point is, is that it's a massive risk to chemistry. And I, like you, already have a little bit of skepticism about, uh, you know, about them based on some of the questions that you brought up. Yeah, no, I think that the one thing about college football, I'll never forget the draft last year. So it's the Friday night. And, you know, I've worked at ESPN for about 10 minutes. I don't know what I don't know. We're outside my station in the draft. This sounds made up, but it was real. Was outside on a rooftop bar in Las Vegas. It's about 176 <laughs> degrees. It was. I basically am like Chewbacca. I sweat when I like, you know, walk out of, walk out of bed every morning, right? So I'm like soaked in sweat. Now, luckily, I'm new, so I don't have a lot of responsibility. So it's kind of a smooth night. Nothing's really happened. Nicole Dean slipped. That was like mm-hmm. the biggest thing I had to worry about. And all of a sudden, I got a text. Jordan Addison's in the transfer port. Right now, the portal is closing soon. I think the portal window is April fifteenth to May first. I think the draft weekend um, next weekend in Kansas City is the end of it. But it's one of the things that is helping college football in a way be more like the NFL because there are major roster moves mm. that can still come at this point. Now, the Jordan Addison thing was seismic because we just hadn't had a post spring transfer for immediate eligibility. That um, Teddy just walked in my office. He didn't agree with my point on Jordan Addison. <laughs> Bye, buddy. Bye, Teddy. Uh, yep. <laughs> he can open doors now. Uh-oh. That's uh, 14 months. Different he's, world he's ripping now. And running. That. Oh, yeah. it is, man. It is. And he does not hesitate. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, th- just that was just a paradigm that, that didn't happen. Now, he had an odd grad transfer here and there go. But to have the best player at his position in a sport leave a conference champion to go play 3,000 miles away, to me, I saw that as a bit of a seminal moment, like an axis shift moment. Mm-hmm. So it will be interesting to see as we push through this week, does anyone follow the Jordan Addison path? I'll be honest, the portal this spring has been pretty boring. Mm-hmm. Can you name a high-profile player who's in no, there? I Bear Alexander, maybe, the, the freshman Georgia, tackle. Right. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, th- this is what I'll say about the portal. There are guys we know from recruiting. There aren't a ton of guys we know from production. Mm-hmm. Does that make yes. sense? So there's yes. guys, there's like a D-tackle from Ole Miss who was a top 100 recruit. But guys who earn their name in high school are popping up in the portal. Guys who've really, really produced in college this spring now. There were certainly plenty of guys who went in December. But post-spring, I've had a couple coaches call me and be like, this is boring. Like, we're expecting more. We want, you know, we want more do like we need a safety. Where are all the safeties? Um so in and maybe it's a little bit of the market sort of settled, mm-hmm. right? Now I say this on Thursday afternoon, and in the seven days from now, we could have this you know, huge buying spree, you know, guys go in and get auctioned off to different collectives and everything like that. I don't know. But as of right now, that market is, uh, is fairly quiet. It'd be interesting to see if it remains so.
One of the more heartbreaking things about hosting the draft is watching a guy have to sit in that green room for a long time because they lose perspective, and so do we, that regardless of whether they go 7th or 29th or whatever, that it is a remarkable accomplishment to get drafted in the first round. It's still a remarkable compliment if they have to come back Friday and go in the second and third round. And it doesn't change a single thing about their opportunity to have success. It, it, it still kind of hurts your feelings a little bit, and there's empathy that you see for someone who, who goes through that. Is there anyone that you're worried about right now slipping as Nicobe Dean did last year? And we were, you were on top of it. We were getting messages from people. It, you know, I think it was his shoulder, if I recall. His shoulder's fine. You know, I don't know what people were talking about and all. Is there anyone you're worried about slipping like that next Thursday night? Well, I'm looking right now at the list of 17 guys who are going in the green room. Mm-hmm. So I guess I guess I'll start there. And I actually made some calls on this uh, yesterday for a different draft story of just you know people who guys teams drafting in the early second round who they think could be there. And this is a little bit of inside baseball, but I'm planning for the Friday game day, mm-hmm. right? And who's going to be yeah. there. So like, there have to just be some thoughts and, you know, it's, it's always, you know, somebody's somebody made it through the first round that nobody expected. Mm-hmm. And then the wise and whatever. So I just called around to see kind of just some early, early lines. And, um, how's this for a, uh, for a pinch of irony? Uh, one of the players that people are worried about is Jordan Addison because he is a little bit smaller, right? Mm-hmm. He was always going to kind of be a slot guy. And he didn't run a blazing time. So, again, this isn't because he's a bad player. He wasn't productive. Jordan Addison is a wonderful – he was a wonderful college football player. But it's a height, weight, speed league. The longer I cover this draft and the longer I spend around scouts and going to Mobile and going to the Combine, those guys default back to paradigms, height, weight, and speed. And if you are that small and are not that fast – all things relative, of course, that is something that could give people some pause. It feels like Zay Flowers has come and kind of taken that smaller receiver top spot from mm-hmm. from Jordan Addison. So I, I think on that list, if there's if there's one guy who could slip a little bit, um, I did see today. Now we're talking on Thursday um, that Will Levis went and visited the Patriots, and the Patriots are 14th. So. Are they are you know is that a is that a tip of the hand that they may see Levis slip a little bit mm-hmm. now I think you and I disagree on a lot of things I think we're in line on Will Levis mm-hmm. a nice player a nice prospect I'm not using the fourth pick of the draft on Will Levis agreed and feel free to clip that and prove me wrong when he's in the Hall of Fame and he's won the Super Bowl I just didn't see it yeah. I just didn't see it I didn't see it in the big games I think he's a great player and a great prospect I'm not using my high end draft capital on Will Levis that's my opinion. Thousand percent. I'm, I'm right there with you. And when we say that, I think there are a lot of people in our business that almost enjoy it when they're right about something like that. I would prefer to be wrong about that. I hope Will Levis goes and has a great career. Um, he's worked his tail off. He trusted himself and transferred, but I'm with you. I, I'd be happy to spend a second round pick on Will Levis and hope on all those physical attributes. But I, I probably, maybe the Patriots, because I think they're a little uncertain with what they've got in Mac Jones and, and maybe they've got a guy who's a little bit more of a prototype, bigger arm than Mac. And maybe you try it. Um, 
I would say the same about I would say the same about Anthony Richardson. Now, now that dude, Oof. that dude with the physical attributes, and you just said what this draft is about. He he might well prove to be the best quarterback in the NFL someday, given given his ability. But I would be worried because of the production and the amount of time that he's played quarterback at a high level and how quickly he'd be ready to play in the NFL and whether uh, whether a team in its anxiety and rush to get him on the field might ruin him. You know, we've seen that a lot. Or he might embrace the challenge, use all of those wonderful attributes, improve and and be the best guy you've ever seen at the position but i'd be i'd be scared to use a you know top five top ten pick on that and risk and risk my entire but but you know i think maybe you pointed this out or someone else did recently it's not quite the same as it was a few years ago and you know before they sort of restructured the salaries for the rookies not quite the same and because of that Maybe you are a little more inclined to roll the dice with a, a guy like Levis or Richardson than you might have been. I don't know what the years are, but you know, 15 years ago or something like that, where you could set your franchise back forever. Um, so maybe you're more inclined, but I'd, I'd still be skeptical. And I hope both of them wind up in the Hall of Fame and have great careers. You know, so yeah. So quick on Levis. Let's hope he has the Hellman's mayonnaise deal for his coffee and <laughs> makes millions from Chiquita bananas, eating them with the, uh, wasn't that the, the Alyssa Lang bit? Yeah. Uh, he, uh, he would eat the bananas with the peel mm-hmm. on them, um, which is really gross. And I like bananas. I, I, I'm too. a big fan, but I wouldn't do that. That's nasty. Nope. Yeah. No, no, thank you. Yeah. No, thank you. Um, and Anthony Richardson, to me, is by far and away the most compelling player in this draft. I mean, it, it's not even a close second. Uh, I was told they could some calls about quarterbacks yesterday that uh, David Tepper is infatuated with Anthony Richardson. Now, I'm not telling you he's going to go one. I think Bryce Young's going to go one, and I haven't really heard anything that that would that would counter that. But uh, a, a scout, a veteran scout who I trust, uh, brought up a good point. He said, "If I'm going to trade to one, I'm trading for rare traits, right? And Bryce Young's rare traits are." As much intangible as tangible. Mm-hmm. Like there's production, you can't argue that. But there's his ability to dissect defenses, which is rare. There's his intuitiveness, which is rare. There's feel. Like all those things are rare. But it is not the rare of the way he can run and throw and move. And um yeah, so this this scout who I happened to be talking to yesterday did say he would take Richardson one. Wow. No, no oh, question. Well no, yeah, no, like he just said he's just said the you put him in an offense like Philly has with Jalen Hurts, and maybe that becomes a little bit of a a paradigm and an archetype for for more athletic quarterbacks that that you can uh, that that you can replicate a little bit in the uh, in the future. But that, I just thought it was an interesting point. I would I would take Bryce Young. I assume you would take Bryce Young. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Well, I I would take Will Anderson because whoever takes yeah, that's yeah. right. You you've been very consistent yeah. with that. I I give you a lot of credit. Yeah. You have been very consistent with that, and I really like C.J. Stroud yeah. too. Like I just think the production is there mm-hmm. and the. The physical paradigm is what you want it to be, mm-hmm. and I think he throws with great anticipation. But um, yeah, so still, you you are still on the Will Anderson uh, at one band. I, I think because I have 
you know, I pointed this out when when you were gallivanting around the country that I still have. Oh, I, I listened. You, know, you you enjoyed the solo podcast a little well, too much. Well, I mean, that would be you know, answer. here's the thing. So do you when you do it. I mean, I mean we both, as uh, as the great line in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou is, you and I have both been endowed with the gift of gab. So, I mean, we can, you know, we can do this. But as much as I like Bryce's traits, I mean, I know you're writing about the size. Height doesn't bother me as much as slight. Um, he, he's mm-hmm. built slightly. He's worked hard in the weight room. He's not a big framed guy. That probably gives me pause. Um, CJ Stroud answered a lot of questions I had about him against George, and it was more of a, of an intention. Does he elevate everybody around him? The answer to that in that Georgia game on the highest stakes, biggest stage was yes. Um, you know, so, but I still have enough questions that I think Will Anderson's the most sure thing. If you're drafting number one, you're probably not going to turn your franchise around this year. And I think you might have better elite quarterback options next year. Uh, and guys with fewer questions coming in, uh, with Caleb Williams, with Drake May, heck, maybe, you know, maybe even Michael Penix will be older for sure. And Bo Nix will be older. Um, and maybe JJ McCarthy, if he improves the way that we think he might, there might be some guys there that, uh, and then you get Will Anderson and you have, you have a cornerstone defense and maybe you have a better cornerstone offense next year. But I won't argue trade to three and take him trade to three and take him. That's yeah. I just think that's a. That's a that's a pretty savvy play if you're committing to a rebuild. Yeah, it's right? um. Here's the thing, if uh, if the Panthers as expected take Bryce Young, I'm never going to argue with that. He's he is he is sensational, and the only fault you can find with him is something that he can't that you know. He's not going to be 6'3", 235. He's just not. Anthony Richardson is. And the one thing you mentioned, I wanted to point, make this point about the Jalen Hurts type offense. The, the biggest thing that I think that Jalen Hurts sets as an example is that what you see on draft day often is what you wind up with, but not always. And Jalen Hurts has improved and is going to continue to improve and is going to continue to get paid. And if Anthony Richardson, there's no reason he can't do those things too. It takes a, you know, I think, uh, what, what is it that Jalen likes to put as his hashtag on his Instagram? I think rare breed or something like that. But anyway, it, they're rare traits of someone who devotes himself to improvement the way Jalen Hurts has. Anthony Richardson does that, then, you know, you'll be wondering why uh, everybody else will be wondering why they didn't listen to your scout friend and trade up and get him because there are certainly, um, certainly remarkable yeah. traits there. But let, let me ask you one more question that we're in this top five neighborhood here. You are Pete Carroll at five. Jalen Carter has slipped to you. Do you take Jalen Carter? Okay, who's who's off the board in that situation? Both quarterbacks, Will Anderson, and who else would be off the board? Let's just say, for the sake of argument, uh, Richardson goes. So you, you have Levis and Carter are your best available. Okay, Levis and Carter are my. And then there's yeah. obviously a lot of other very good. Yeah, there are other too. other other really it's, good, really yeah. good players. Um, yeah. I think I would. Yeah. I think yeah. I would. And so it's um 
because I don't I don't know that the you know the issues uh, certainly the the tragedy was was horrible, but I don't know that it speaks. It speaks to the level that he's not going to be successful in his in his life. You know, he's he's a young guy, and he was, you know, affiliated on some level with something that resulted in a in a tragic situation, or was, you know, however you. I, I want to make sure I phrase it right from a legal standpoint sure. and all of that type of thing. He didn't cause anything. You know, I, I don't think it. I, I don't think anything that I've read up to this point or heard from people close to that situation would indicate that he's not going to be a productive pro. I know people are probably more worried about him gaining weight, you know, at different times, but you, you can, you can handle that as a professional. And I think, uh, in Pete's situation there with his experience, their structure there, I think I, I would yeah. take him. Yeah. If he falls there, yeah, I'd take him. So Pete has a good history with, uh, yeah. with, with players who, who come in with some question marks. I think yeah. that's, uh, I think he's, he's earned that. That's hell on guys. Would you take him? Would you not on, on Carter? It's just, and I think that just speaks to why he's in the five to seven conversation and not really the one to four conversation. Cause the talent is the talent and the traits are the traits. And there's no question about that, but there's questions about effort. There's questions about him being coddled. Um, there's some, there were some quests showed up in some, in some different places, but, um, let, let me say this about our colleague, our colleague Todd McShay, and now I'll let you make your point who, you know, he caught all kinds of grief when yeah. he brought that out. Yeah. yeah. He didn't make it up. Yeah. yeah. No, no, right. that's a great he didn't point. Make it's it fair, fair on so, Todd. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Todd obviously does his homework. When Todd made that observation initially, just, I think both of us were not like, oh no, we were like, yeah, that's kind of what people are saying. Like, that's what scouts are saying. That's what opposing <laughs> coaches are saying. Yes. And that's what the Georgia building is saying. And I think that probably, so I asked a few scouts, like, all right, what did Georgia tell you? Straight coach Kirby, everything like that. And look, like, and this is a very dangerous game for college coaches to play because they have to give the NFL good information, but they can't kill their own guys because you kill your own guys, mm-hmm. it hurts your recruiting. It's a whole cycle. But there has to be good modesty. They said that Jalen Carter was a guy they struggled to reach. And I thought that was like a really fair way to put in context. Like, hey, you're going to have to work to connect with him to get him motivated all the time. Um, I thought that was a I thought that was a fair context for uh, for for Jalen Carter. Um, but it will be it will be interesting. I, I think that the traits he's essentially a defensive end who plays inside. And we just don't see that in in football. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, and and maybe Pete Carroll sitting there, you know, giddy up, right? Let him go, let him slide down, big fella. We'll, yeah. we'll take you and, and make yeah. you a cornerstone of our cornerstone of our franchise. <laughs> and I, I do think this another scout made a great point about Carter. Um, and this is rarer and rarer in the NFL today when you think about it. He has to go to a place. In, in, a, in a franchise has to commit to him that has an established head coach, an established general manager, and an established culture. And when you look at how the NFL turns and churns and turns and churns at those positions, Seattle is actually one of the few places where you can say, okay, the, there, there is enough security there where we can take him and manage some of the risk that comes with him. I hope it works out for well. For him, obviously, too. He's, he yes. is a terrific player. I mean, I don't think there's, you know, nobody, nobody doubts that. It's just, um, you know, it's just a question of, you know, where's he going to go? Is he going to, you know, be locked in and, and do all the things that, 
that he needs to do in order to make sure that his talent manifests itself and he becomes a dominant player on the on the defensive on the defensive front. One last thing on the draft, and then I've got to get to something uh, probably far more interesting and important to all the people here. Uh, picking picking twenty fourth on a Thursday night's our Jaguars. So, um, oh, you know, what are your needs? What are your needs, Reese? <laughs> well, they've got Calvin Ridley coming back and he's, you know, off his suspension. Okay. So that's going to help, uh, give Trevor Lawrence another playmaker. We got ETN. Um, you know, maybe, maybe another, maybe another D lineman, uh, you know, maybe a, a Miles Murphy type. Um, you know, something like that would, uh, would make me happy. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. If you, you already have ETN and, and Trevor there, so that would that would work. Maybe uh, you know, maybe Elijah Cansey from Pittsburgh, somebody like that, defensive lineman. Or uh, I'm looking at Todd and Mel's. Who do they Todd have? And Mel did like an an alternate mock. Uh, pretty good pick, Michael Mayer from Notre Dame. I'd take Michael Mayer, and I'm sure Trevor would take uh, Michael Mayer too. That would be that'd be an excellent. Excellent pick for the offense. Just score some more, score some more points. But now on to the most pressing issue. Uh, Pete, when last we were here, I had to question Taylor about. You grow them pretty good. You you grow them pretty good. His persona on social media, which is quite aggressive. (laughs) You know, it's, it's pretty aggressive. But then there, we learn a lot about our producers by following along. Did you see, did you see Sarah's experience with, uh, former, NFL draft on ABC guest Taylor Swift, who used that to catapult her career, her appearance on the draft in Nashville a few years ago, catapulted her career to some significance apparently now that has delighted Sarah. So, um, how, how, how have things gone for Taylor Swift, Sarah, since she appeared on our draft coverage a few years ago? Did it work out okay for her? I mean, it seems like it. She just took down Ticketmaster by selling out stadiums across the country and you know she is the wind beneath my wings why, why is why is that Sarah you went and you posted these great pictures from where where was the concert that you went to how hard was, was it to get I went tickets to the one in Tampa like I've just in seen Tampa okay so I've you go to all Tampa biggest thing has happened to Tampa since Tom Brady how yeah how, how did you get tickets so I was really lucky. My family had tickets, so they let my sister and I come. So shout out Uncle Jason and Auntie Blair. You guys are the heroes of our Ooh, lifetime. There <laughs> um, and yeah, my sister and I got to go because of that. Oh, okay, well, if you don't, if you're not divulging family secrets, and you know, you're not, I don't know, delving into you know, some space that you don't want to, some blank space, as it were, and you can shake it off and tell us the answer here. How is it that your family wound up with the tickets? That is a beautiful, beautiful Taylor Swift references, um, references I know all too well, some may say. But <laughs> um, yeah, so my uncle had a suite, and so he had some extra seats. Ah, okay. Yes, yes. Very nice. That's awesome. So, is he a buck season ticket holder? Or is this totally unrelated to the? Well, well it was in the in stadium, right? In yes, Raymond James. Yes, stadium? it was okay. in Raymond James Stadium. There was a pirate so ship involved. He, yeah, yes. He did, did. She incorporate the pirate ship into her show? Um, no, but it was in the background, and it was kind of beautiful. So, you know, I'm sure she loved that added special touch. She went on for three hours without stopping a singular time, three hours. It was 
insane. I need to know her cardio routine because I was dancing I what her, her like, three cone songs would be. and gasping yeah. for air. So I don't know how <laughs> she's an athlete. Okay. If she was in the draft, she would like crush that combine. I'm telling you, she would. <laughs> rare, rare traits. <laughs> yeah. Her 40 would be insane. <laughs> are, are you, are you a Taylor Swift fan, Pete? Or, or sort of like, sort of like me, appreciate the talent, but maybe not quite there. Sure, absolute appreciation, but I wouldn't say there's any like special affinity where there's like an intentionality to it. But you can't escape T Swift. You know the Swifties are everywhere. The music's everywhere, and it's great music. So I have no, I have no qualms. I just, uh, I'm old and boring. I went to Bruce Springsteen a couple weeks ago, like every other sports writer. <laughs> so yeah. I- Okay, I'm not going to go down that down that Bruce Springsteen road there. You don't. I, I, you know I like I like yeah. Bruce. I, I don't quite get the reverence that that some have. But I want to ask Sarah this: Sarah, are you are you great with your Taylor Swift trivia knowledge? I mean, I would like to think so, but I'm scared to say okay. yes and then be wrong. <laughs> no. no. I'm not going to quiz you necessarily, oh, okay. but I want—I just want to make sure that I, I have this right. If you recall, like this would have been maybe close to ten years ago. What wasn't she? Wasn't she dating? Um, wasn't she dating like someone who was related to the Kennedys or something like that? Didn't she? She did. She dated Connor okay. Kennedy for I don't know how long. It seemed like you know it was a whisper in the wind. And then she okay. actually just broke up with her boyfriend of six years. She just announced it. So she's been putting oh, her whole okay. heart and soul into this tour. And it's been amazing. Oh. I'm so sad for her. But I'm happy for the way the show's happened. <laughs> Watch this, Pete. Watch how I bring this back to football. Okay. When, when, the, when Taylor Swift's former young suitor was playing football, I've forgotten which prep school, probably Deerfield, uh, given the the Kennedy connection, when he was playing prep school football, and I think this probably was a JV game, uh, word got out that he was doing this. So when uh, when Deerfield, which might be called the Green Door, but I'm not positive of that, when they took on the Winged Beavers <laughs> of the Avon Old Farm School for Boys in JV, which is by the way the finest school for boys on the face of the earth, um, the lads from Avon started giving him a hard time by quoting lyrics and stuff like that. And, uh, really, uh, you know, and he, 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 he might've, um, he might've run afoul of some flags in retaliation. And, uh, as, as I recall, the, the young lads, the winged beavers, uh, he might've still been dating Taylor Swift, but I don't think he got the W that day. So. Right. Was Nico Regani uh, during an Iowa update on game day? No, I, I think there was, th- yeah, this was this was pre, this was pre Nico, and I'm and this was this was a JV game. So the uh, the okay, the, yeah, the old Nico probably wouldn't play JV yeah, at A. Yeah, the uh, the winged the winged beavers uh, were piloted by a young freshman quarterback by the name of Chris Davis that day. So I believe we, yeah, we got that? the victory there. So, but uh, it was that? a pretty pretty funny not the story. Chris Davis from the pick six. something. No, no, uh, uh, or I mean, sorry, the kick six. Yeah, no, no, different Chris Di- Davis. Different, <laughs> different. Uh, now, uh, independent professional baseball player, Chris Davis. That's right. Anyway. That he is. <laughs> All right. Um, well, Sarah got it easy compared to Taylor. So. Yeah, you did. I, you know, I, I respect that. She's, uh, she, she's a big fan. She is my life, my hero, my inspiration, 
She is my everything. So. <laughs> and now the question becomes, and I can't divulge the answer, but there's going to be some pretty, uh, pretty serious star power on the ABC draft set too. Uh, Taylor's already made her appearance and then used that appearance to catapult herself to fame. <laughs> but uh, So you're talking about Brett Bielma, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, wait till you see what Brett Bielema has in store. He's going to sell out stadiums across the country. Uh, hey, this has been fun. Uh, Pete, we'll see you at the draft, and perhaps we will talk on the podcast again. That's sort of up to Taylor and Sarah from that point forward. But thanks for listening to the College Game Day podcast, and download this wherever it is that you prefer to get your podcast.